Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hi, hello and welcome. I'm Royville Brown. This is Mid-Atlantic and today I'm back home in Birmingham, the city that might be rescuing the Commonwealth Games. Today we will explore Elon Musk's fascination with the letter X and its influence on Twitter's rebranding. We'll also discuss what it will take to address the challenges faced by the UK, also known as the sick man in Europe. Now, joining me for this discussion, we have experts from different fields. We have Mickey Gabriel, a financial and economic expert from Houston in Texas, Corey Bernard, a political pundit and commentator from Manchester in the UK, Leah Brown. Now, I did actually say in the last episode that Leah Brown was my cousin. She's not really. I did have an excited listener email me and say, oh, it's really good you're getting your family members on. Leah, Last time I checked, let's just confirm we aren't actually related, are we? I'm not Jamaican, I'm afraid. I knew there was something about you that wasn't quite right. She's in Kent in the UK. And then we have Z Cohen Sanchez, a political activist and the CEO of Soul Strategies in New York. Now, Twitter's iconic bluebird could be about to be culled. Owner Elon Musk has said it was going to be replaced with a logo depicting the letter X. That's the name that he wants to use for the so-called everything app that he's trying to build on the foundations of Twitter. The rebranding comes as Musk recently admitted that advertising revenue on the platform was at half of what it was before he bought it. Let's not forget that uh, Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter when he bought it last October. Ditching the logo, perhaps also ditching the Twitter name and its brand, it's beginning to feel like Musk only really wanted Twitter for its user base. So the iconic Bluebird logo has been replaced. What does this mean for the future of Twitter? Can Musk's vision of transforming Twitter into a super app encompassing entertainment, online shopping and messaging, can it actually succeed? First, Z, I'm going to come to you. You do messaging and you do branding for political activists. This to me sounds like a monumental own goal. Whatever the strategy is in terms of where you want the brand to go, you've nixed one of the most iconic internet brands. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me there is genius behind this move from Twitter to X. No, unfortunately, there is no genius here, at least not in my opinion. Truly, the only thing that Twitter had going for it was their iconic branding and the fact that it had been around for so long and that a lot of people have been on the platform for so long and therefore had grown audiences that they don't want to get rid of. So now that we're moving into this space of an entirely new brand, it's going to lose even more people than it already has. So it's a huge mistake, in my opinion. Miki, are you active on the platform? And if so, why? I do the obligatory tweets couple of days a week just because it's a good way to connect with people and because everyone should have a presence on all of the plethora of social media platforms, even if it's just because no, so no one else can come and claim my handle. But 
I think this is this is really interesting because such is the power not only of social media but specifically Twitter that a lot of us are there because we feel that we should be there. And surely some of the antics of of Musk is is making us even question that. Corey, how how would you say that Twitter has maybe influenced political discourse, let's say, in the last 10, 15 years or so? I would say it democratised it, not necessarily successfully. And I would also say it has, I think, contributed to the debasement of politicians. And I think that's because it's been democratised. It's it had that democratising effect insofar as so many more people can have their opinions. It's what press conferences used to be for politicians, but just scaled up to the entire population. Then it's almost appealing to the lowest common denominator. Leah, Corey says that Twitter has helped to debase politicians or maybe our perception of them. Is that fair when... I would say that really what Twitter has done is coarsened all dialogue, not just between us, the populace, and and let's say our leaders, our political leaders, but in a crude way, what it has done, and again, Corey said democratise, but it's actually debased expertise, hasn't it? Or at least definitely this new version of Twitter has, or sorry, X. I'm a Twitter fan, not an X fan, but I'm a Twitter fan. And one of the things I love about Twitter is that ability to get a plethora of perspectives at the touch of a button in uh, an environment where it's very easy to suffer groupthink or to just surround yourself with people that think like you and talk like you. I love the fact that I can diversify my views and hear from a range of perspectives. I think one of the challenges of Twitter are those who hide behind anonymous accounts and the power that they can have to change the narrative depending on their collective voice or the topic in question. You only need to look as far as the Harry and Meghan hashtags or the um, Prince and Princess of Wales to see that played out in reality. And that polarization that social media across the board creates, but particularly on Twitter, because it is a forum for people's opinions, makes the platform itself quite controversial. And I think part of the issue is that I don't think that politicians across the board are particularly good with social media. Usually they have somebody else who's responsible for running their profiles. And so in an era where everyone is getting to grips with the need to respond to things in real time and to put their opinions across in a way that perhaps hasn't necessarily been well vetted or the ramifications of the way that they are communicating something hasn't yet had a chance to play out, creates an opportunity, I think, for exploitation and this democratization that Corey is speaking of. Z, and with every fiber in my body, I'm resisting calling you Zed. But because we know that's really how you should be referred to. Is killing off the Twitter iconic brand even more risky at the moment, considering we now have threads? Yeah, absolutely. I think the interesting thing about threads is that I think that there is a space right now for threads to really take over. But I think that there's certain pieces about Twitter that we don't get on other platforms. And I think part of it is that ability to not keep yourself in an echo chamber because you are getting all of this information. But I think that the biggest piece that Threads is really missing is that ability to be able to search for specific things that you need and then also have those feeds be more catered to what's happening in real time. So like the trendingness of of what's happening. Unless they change that, I really don't see it becoming what Twitter was, because I don't think Twitter is that anymore for numerous reasons. But I do think that there would be that space and that opportunity if Mark decided to move like further into that Twitter space. I don't know if he can legally or not or what, why he chose to do this the way that he did. But there's a huge market there, I think. Mm. Miki, you're our kind of financial go-to person. Please explain this to me. Twitter has financial challenges. There's been a 50% drop in its advertising revenue. Why has Elon Musk been aggressive in terms of alienating one of his key sources of revenue advertisers? And why has he fostered, let's say, a lack of moderation, which is another thing which advertisers don't want. They don't want their brands right next to tweets about Nazism. Let's say, again, this is the richest man in the world 
right? I'm guessing that when it comes to business, he's smarter than me. But this doesn't sound like smart business. What's going on? I think that's what everyone is asking. Uh, this is definitely a new age of billionaire. I affectionately refer to Elon as my favorite broke billionaire because he is fantastic at ideas. He's not the best executive, as we've seen from a lot of testament from Tesla and from now Twitter, now X. Even the way that he interacts on Twitter is quite interesting, and it's not indicative of someone who is at all concerned about shareholders or branding or anything. He has become synonymous with the brand, which can be quite dangerous. And one would think that he has learned that lesson from corporate America and the stock market and an unforgiving populace, but somehow he has not. The acquisition of Twitter, which I love to remind people, was one that was random by tweet, ironically. And he was actually forced into it by the Chancery Court in Delaware. Uh, he made a very ambitious undertaking. He attempted to back out of it publicly, of course. So what we saw was the overtaking of a multi-billion dollar corporation in a matter of months where the courts had to step in and basically force him to tame Twitter at the original offering. So he was at a loss there. Uh, subsequent loss because Twitter was not making money. And now we see he's even further detonating, which I use that word intentionally, everything that was already in place. So it's very confusing. He is a genius, however. I have no idea what he's doing. That's my official opinion. Good luck to him, though. Z, Miki talked about the ramshackle, let's say, way that Musk has presided over Twitter thus far, or X. One of the things that's really surprised me is that so few people, let's say in corporate America and in the wider sphere, have actually been critical about him. Yes, the same lefty-leaning progressive news outlets have said he isn't paying his staff. The site is glitchy. He so cut things down to the bone. But you Americans like somebody who's swashbuckling and talks truth to power and is really shoddy at running businesses. This is just the American dream, isn't it? One man <laughs> having his way with, dare I say, if not a public institution, definitely an internet institution. I think that there's a lot to say about Elon and the the way that he became wealthy. And I, I don't believe that Elon became wealthy because he was particularly intelligent or because he was a genius or anything like that. I truly believe that a, a big part of Elon's story and the story of Trump and the story of many of these incredibly wealthy white billionaires are that they were one in the right place at the right right time. And two, came from at least some privilege. And I know that Elon's story is this controversy around this. He wasn't Trump, for example, but he was wealthy enough. He came from enough wealth where his parents were both entrepreneurs in South Africa. They were not poor. He didn't grow up super low class. And he was able to come to the United States at a super young age, get a, a very good education, and then had enough money to move to the Silicon Valley, which... Most people do not have that privilege. And I know his whole story as well. I was sleepy on a couch in my office and that's how I started. And it's, most people don't have the money to get an office in the Silicon Valley to sleep on a couch. You're just hating on a successful visionary there, really, aren't you? Here is somebody who has disrupted, and I hate that word, but he has disrupted the automotive industry so much that every old-fashioned car manufacturer now He's basically saying that by 2035, they're going to start making gas-guzzling cars. That is because Elon Musk made electric cars sexy. I'm not wrong, am I, Leah? That's a loaded question. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty, pretty simple one. As a guest on my podcast, you're supposed to say, no, Roy fooled you not. <laughs> okay, you're not wrong, but I do think that part of the issue here is that he has been very successful on selling a vision and he single-handedly has not created those waves in the automotive industry because, as Iki said, uh, he is not somebody who's able to execute on this vision. And I think that's one of the things that I find particularly challenging about Twitter. He has hired this fantastic CEO in Lydda. I, I, I just don't understand why... The proposals for where X.com is going 
have been deployed in such a kind of cat-handed and backwards way. Where this goes remains to be seen. I think, obviously, with the way that the new platform has been rolled out and the designers that were responsible for uh, deploying it having been laid off, who knows how long it will take for us to see this vision go through. And I don't feel like it's a fair comparison to say this is what he's done at Tesla and, you know, he's running Twitter into the ground and that is the end of the story. I don't feel like we're at the end of the story. But what I want to see is him hire somebody who's not a yes person, who's a good CSO, who says, okay, this is where we're at. This is where we're trying to get to. I don't have the ability to get us there. You get us there. And then, yes, Twitter could have a new rebirth. But I think we're far away from that. And I think that's disappointing. I think many people are still holding on, trying to trust him. But I think all capital that he had for the people who are signed up to the platform expired last week. Corey, he gives us men a bad name, doesn't he? Look at the way he's running that company. There are a lot of impressionable young men who look up to this man. Corey, tell us why. Because we live in an age of cynicism. It's why anybody who is counter-narrative gets traction. Whether that be Jordan Peterson, whether that be Andrew Tate, whether that be Elon Musk, Elon Musk whether that be Donald Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Trump. these people are, are they just anti. And whatever the prevailing narrative is, whether it's climate change, whether it's COVID, whether it's politics, whether it's the liberal order of the past 40 years, it's because they bash against the door, because we already live in an age of cynicism. And because I think men are more impulsive. In general, women, I think, tend to maybe think about things a bit longer than men. Men. And you put all of these things together, and you put it together with the fact that he runs Twitter, which is a huge social network. And it's just, it's it's a perfect recipe. Perfect being relative. Z, I'm going to let you have the last word here before we move on to things of a British bent. Uh, Researchers at the Fletcher School at Tufts University have suggested that the quality of conversation on Twitter has declined since Musk's leadership. And what Musk has most definitely done is to push a right-wing agenda. And he's very clearly said we should be voting for Republicans. He's did it in the midterms and he's done it since. Do you think that the right-wing tilt of Twitter could have any effect on the forthcoming U.S. election? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it already had an effect on the last election. And this is actually weird in that I'm actually going to agree with Elon for a second here, (laughs) which you'll never hear me do ever again. But I do I do believe that we should have freedom of speech. I obviously believe that. But I do think that there is a danger in misinformation to the point where it, it does affect the election. So I do think that like pulling Trump off of Twitter was a good thing. I think that any type of freedom of speech that incites violence towards a group of people or anybody should not be tolerated in any space. And I, my fear with where we go now that Twitter is reopening itself up in the way that it is, is that we could have more violence that happens in the next U.S. election. We're already preparing for this with our canvassing because it's become increasingly more dangerous for canvassers to go out and knock on doors. And as we have Marjorie Taylor Greene, Trump, these super right wing politicians spreading complete misinformation is extremely dangerous. And said you're going to have the last word. I was wrong in that you're going to have the last word. You're going to have another last word. And this is the other last word. Americans really trumpet freedom of speech all the time. It's something which us Brits don't use as a mantra, not in the way that you Americans do. And we think we're pretty free without the First Amendment. When a platform is literally a utility like Twitter, where does moderation and free speech end and start for you? Yeah, I think that's it's a tricky line, but I think where it begins and ends is complete misinformation. So like where we see Trump saying the election was stolen. It just was not stolen. And so when we have misinformation to that degree being perpetuated online in that way, I think it's extremely dangerous. We saw it, right, with the rise of the January 6th riots and how 
we ended up having people literally invading the Capitol. And that could happen again to a much worse degree if we're not regulating what that means. And I, I don't think that our forefathers were saying freedom of speech in the sense of you can just say whatever. I don't think that was the intention. But so I do think that there needs to be regulation in the sense of if it is not true, then it should not be said online. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The global economic outlook for this year might be less gloomy than previously predicted, although that's not the case for the UK. Britain is the only member of the Group of Seven Nations whose economy is likely to shrink in 2023, according to the International Monetary Fund's January forecasts. The country has been grappling with a cost-of-living crisis, with discontent spilling out onto the streets with months of strikes. We have told the government there's an increasing problem. While the US and other nations have begun to rebound from the pandemic, the UK has been struggling to turn the tide. The UK's flagging economy now looks set to shrink by 0.6% this year, even being outperformed by sanctions hit Russia. The UK economy is grappling with stagflation. Households are struggling and the financial markets have reacted negatively to the situation. The economy has not seen any real growth in output since mid-2022 and the inflationary pressures are persisting, causing widespread labour disputes. The Bank of England, under Andrew Bailey, has initiated a review of its performance on the that of the economy, whilst bracing itself and the nation for a prolonged period of inflation. The UK's economic challenges, though shared by other major economies, are perceived to be much more complex here and much more severe. Additionally, the UK faces issues related to Brexit, the credibility of economic governance and the underinvestment in public health and transport services. Amidst all this, a general election is expected next year. So why is Britain broke and how do we fix it? If we look at housing, the Bank of England has announced in June an increase in the Bank of England's base rate to 5%, that this will push up mortgages and rents. And with our lack of um, housing the homeless, of which we now have 83,000 homeless people in, in the country, but actually there are 104,000 households which are in temporary accommodation. Inflation is currently at 7.9%. If we look at energy costs since 2021, prices for gas have gone up by 91% and electricity by 70%. Because all whilst British Gas reports profits of just under £1 billion and Shell has just posted profits of £5 billion. 
dollars, which has prompted outrage amongst uh, the labour benches, but not so much from the government. UK food price inflation is set to be 9% in December, and we have record numbers of people using food banks. And of course, you have rising transport costs, a north-south divide, a lack of investment in the NHS and infrastructure. Woo! Miki, as our economics expert, first off, I'm going to ask you a very obvious question, right? After what I've just said is a catalogue of macro mismanagement of the UK economy. Why are the financial markets so concerned about Britain? How's it looked from the outside? I think why everyone is concerned, because now more than ever, we are in a global society and we are absolutely in a global economy. So what happens on the other side of the pond, so to speak, absolutely impacts the U.S. economy and other economies. We're so closely interlinked that now when we get disparaging news, it can absolutely impact like the U.S. markets. Even though there's not supposed to be a correlation between the economy and the markets, we know that sometimes they go hand in hand. So it is concerning, especially coming out of this post-pandemic period, when we would expect to see a lot of countries, such as the U.S., still struggling, but trying to find the new normal from the period when the world shut down for two years. So it is a bit dismaying and worrisome that the U.K. is lagging so far behind, especially when we're seeing a lot of inflation coming down globally, but it's still persisting in y'all's arena. Gotcha. But I would have thought, though, that with Brexit and us cleaving ourselves away from the EU, that kind of almost politically and economically irrelevant out of the G7, we have the least performing economy. And then with this small rump of this big economic block, surely, apart from the fact that some of the world's financial institutions are in the city of London, Haven't we just made ourselves even more irrelevant for those international markets? No, I wouldn't say irrelevant. I'll even point to, for example, SVB, not SVB, but there was a bank that failed. And I'm sorry, the name escapes me at the moment. But the arm in the UK was actually a little bit more solvent and was able to find a buyer. So there's so many ways, especially with the United States, the UK, that we're so closely related And I will say that there are a lot of things that impact the economy over there. For example, I've said this so many times, Putin picked the worst possible time in history to invade Ukraine. The 30% loss of energy, since you mentioned your energy prices increasing, that was the main supplier to Europe that all of a sudden went away. That had a global impact. So absolutely, your need for that energy, plus coupling with increased climate changes and the hottest temperatures on record, in some cases, 150 years. All of these things are going to impact us in the United States, whether you believe that you are removed from the big boy table or not. It absolutely does impact us when it goes on over there. Gotcha. You started off by being positive, saying that Britain still does matter. And then you just reminded us that we have the hottest July in, in world history and we're all about to fry. So thank you for that. Now, Leah, Britain is broken. Jeremy Hunt has been kicked out of number 11. You are now the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the first black female Chancellor of the Exchequer. Where do you start to write the sinking ship that is Britain? I think the first thing that we need to do is change the leadership at the Bank of England. There have been a a lot of people who have commented on that in recent... But we're but independent. They're independent. They, we can't do that. Are, but the thing is, with 2020 Britain, is independence is a construct of the mind. There is interference all over the shop. And I think what we used to believe as in independence doesn't really exist. And I think part of the issue is that interconnected relationship was seen most clearly when Liz Truss was in number 10. And part of the reason that Britain is where it is is because the approach that Bank of England has taken with incremental rate increases is the reason that the US has managed to recover and the UK hasn't. The thing to answer your question that I would focus on is recognising what policies people need to be able to change sentiments to be able to actually make a tangible difference and to actually return money to people's pockets. And just to summarize for the benefit of this call, what's actually going on in Britain, mm. the economy, we've got train strikes, 
conductor strikes, insultant striking for the first time in history. We've got potholes, we've got policing crisis, we've got mm. public broadcasters in crisis, legal backlogs in the courts. Um, the government does continue to intervene in bank affairs. We've seen that with the NatWest scandal this week. We've got rolling back on the green agenda and net zero. We've got the migrant crisis. Don't get me started on sewage. We're closing ticket offices or windfall profits from energy suppliers that you've already mentioned were filled. And we've also got these kind of inflationary pressures that are making utility for ordinary people, whether you're a renter or whether you are a renter. All right. Okay. So we're going to change the governor of the Bank of England. I don't know if we can legally do that, but I thought Gordon Brown made that break. In terms of policy, do we start with infrastructure? What do we do? Our country has the lowest level of growth in in the G7. Our median income is lagging behind massively. Our levels of wealth inequality now look like American levels of wealth inequality. And what we don't have or what America does have is a robust sector of innovation. At least America's creating new billionaires. It's creating tens of thousands of new homeless people as well, right? But there is an engine of innovation in America. It's something which we do not have. What we seem to have, have is the worst of both worlds in terms of, if you look at the, the European model, we don't have enough investment in public infrastructure. So people get from point A to point B relatively cheaply. And we have the wealth inequality of the Americans. So, Frank. But the solution to that is that you've got to create more money, not print more money, but you've got to find access to more money to be able to invest in the infrastructure that public services should have been investing in from an R&D perspective all along. In order to do that, what is the government's usual approach? Let's look at the tax system. But the tax system in Britain is not functioning in a way that actually taxes the people who should be most responsible for ensuring that the system is fair. And I think that's where I would start. There's no reason to have all these windfall tax profits. There's no reason to have all these offshore international businesses who aren't paying back into the Chancellor of Exchequer's books. Leah, explain to me, when we've got Centrica, who's owned by British Gas, making £1 billion in profit, just for our American friends, that's about £1.3 And that's in profit in the last year. Why is the government so against a windfall tax for those utility and energy companies when energy prices have gone up by 70% and 90% and we've had old people being told to go into libraries to keep warm over winter? The big fear is that... These international conglomerates, because there are intricacies in the ownership of many of these businesses and also political interference through these businesses, will remove themselves from the UK. This is one of the consequences of of Brexit, that it's like a slow drain. There's also the the kind of ongoing question about nationalisation and privatisation and that having not been resolved. You only need to look at the rail industry to see the mess that the lack of certainty on that front creates. There are obviously some unseen pressures because there's no justification for it whatsoever from where I'm standing. Um, I feel like there's a lack of backbone and there's a lack of willingness to be unpopular and make the decisions that are... But this would make them be incredibly popular. This this makes no sense to me because we have a government which is not at quite record levels of unpopularity, but I forget how far... The Labour Party is ahead of the Tories in the polls, but it's way above and beyond double digits. This would be such an easy move, considering they had to cap um, energy bills up to £2,000. Something like £54 is what the government spent to try and alleviate the spike in energy prices last winter. Then we have, in the summer, these companies reporting $5 billion uh, worth of profits, $1.3 billion worth of profits. It'd be very easy for the incredibly unpopular prime minister to say, you know what, windfall tax. 15% of that is going back into the treasury. I understand that. But I I did mention this point in passing earlier, and it's it's very much the corporate lawyer and me speaking. When you look at these institutions, which are publicly Uh listed companies who have international shareholders who direct the course of an organization, 
many of the institutional shareholders are pension funds. And we've lost a huge amount of money in the UK pension pots because of the crisis in Q4 last year. There's a lot of people that are trying to make up for bad policy decisions of supporting the wrong side. And ultimately, the money's got to come from somewhere. And so these dividends continue to be paid out. I, I can't understand the position of these boards who are making these decisions. But ultimately, I don't think that the prime minister is in a place where he can make that decision. Otherwise, to your point, which I totally agree with, it would make him more popular. Corey, as our token Mancunian, uh, this next question is coming to you. Britain, now the sick man of Europe, economically. Every meaningful indicator we're at the bottom of. Okay. Considering that Nia didn't quite give me an answer, Ram, turning to you, Corey. You're now the Chancellor. Start. I nationalised the Bank of England. Day one. <laughs> Start the bank. <laughs> Leah said something rather similar, but okay. So we're going all yeah, the way she... back to the policy which was ripped up by, by Gordon Brown in the early years of Tony Blair, where he separated government policy and interference from the Bank of England. All right. So you're going to do that? Yes. Okay. And I don't see why. To tie together monetary and fiscal brother, I hear you, right? The money markets will run scared. We'll have a massive run on the pound as soon as you say we're going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So you sounded like quasi quartang right now, but okay. Okay. Maybe it's just a short term hit, or maybe you'll be number 11 for even a shorter period of time than quasi quartang. But let's just say the money markets rally, right? What, what comes next? Whatever happens, I will have one thing on Quasi Quateng as the second black chancellor over the first black chancellor. I may crash the country again, but at least I will deliver my speeches with a clean and sharp haircut. That aside, um, it has to be said he had a proper nappy head. I do not understand how that man could stand in front of the British people with a head like that. I will give you that, sir. But, let, but let's talk about things a little bit more substantive. What, what are you got to do to fix the economy? Because a sharp cut from the barbers ain't going to fix things. No, it probably won't. There's so much. I mean, I'm naturally resistant to government intervention, especially on a big scale, especially on a God scale. damn it, man. Sometimes it has to be done. All right? Well, thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you what. America in the early 1930s was looking at social and economic re- revolution because things were that bad. 25% of yeah. Americans were out of work. That to have some large doses of social, democratic, economic prudence to be able to right their economic ship. So I know you have some free wheeling neoliberal here, Corey, and you're probably on the wrong podcast. But we put you in as, as our token right-leaning person. So even you are admitting that things are that bad in Britain that actually we need some government intervention. And you start at the Bank of England, so you are an interventionist, aren't you? So we've done the Bank of England. Government said they're going to build 300,000 houses. And even the big issue says it's going to take us 50 years to build the amount of homes that we need in the UK under the government's 300,000 annual target. That's a great place to start, isn't it? Let's build some more homes. Let's take the pressure off of renters so they actually have more opportunities to find somewhere we're going to bring down the cost of house prices. It's not going to be popular with people who already own homes, but it's for the national good. That not we're going to bring them down. The rate that they're exponentially growing, so young people cannot even afford to get on the property ladder. Great place to start. People in construction, fish bosh bang. Yeah, that's 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 something I think which is crucial because whether it's mortgage repayments, even before. Um, the crazy spike that we're seeing now, or whether it's rent, especially in big cities, um, it's totally out of control. And it's taking so much of people's incomes. And then it has a knock-on effect in so many different ways. People's disposable income is far less than what it should be. It's driving people out of the country, brain drain, losing young people to Australia, America, even Europe. So there's so many different things that are caused by these insane rates in terms of the proportion of people's income that goes just on a mortgage repayment or goes on rent. Even on a mental health level, people just cause people to be so just dejected about future prospects. So I've heard you've said with you there, 
what's going on with the, at the moment with mortgages and money markets and all that kind of thing. Again, my natural inclination is government leave banks and stuff alone. But at the same time, I think the government... But things are that bad, but we can't do that anymore. We can't do that but anymore, Corey. Right. So stop with this natural inclination because we've had 40... I'm going to say something that might help. Bye. Okay. I'm going to So there's that. But the same time, I think we can leave things as they are on that side. But on the other side, the government 100% should be a counterbalance. The government should be building a lot more houses than they currently are. I don't understand why it's so difficult to be done. Because obviously what that will do is, what it should do anyway, theoretically, it should then increase the supply. So therefore, match out supply and demand a little bit more, driving prices down. Or like you said, even if not driving them down, not having them go up the rates that they have been going up. Mm. So yes, government involvement in terms of by default. So I'm, I'm all well for that. I'm all for that on that side, for sure. Uh, and I think it's woeful. And it's just so depressing. Rishi Suga giving in to the nimbyism of his backbenchers. And I really don't have much hope for Kisama that he would do anything much different. Maybe not for ideological reasons, but just for this whole, this almost cons- hardcore conservative-like or certain way of conservatism wedded. They are so wedded to, to fiscal reeves. And they're basically already, they are telegraphing right now between him and Rachel Reeves, essentially, we're not going to do much. To use Biden's words, nothing will fundamentally change. That's the vibe that they're giving off. So I don't have the confidence in them to do anything different on that mm-hmm. either. I think that's a crucial thing that needs to be done. And that is something that can and should be done on a, in a, in a, on a large scale by government. Gotcha. Minky and then Z. Minky, why has the American economy done so well post-COVID? In, in, in the G7, it is the economy which has performed the best. Why? Quite frankly, I think it's because Biden minds the business that concerns him. I'm a huge fan of the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell. He is an economist, and we need to leave the economy to the economists. He has been very clear. He does not color out of the lines. He set out to say that we were going to battle inflation. So we had a very clear plan in place in spite of the former president of the United States, who used to attack the chairman of the Fed by tweet. Right. So I'm a huge fan of Biden as a result of this because the plan was laid in place to stimulate the economy during a time when the economy needed stimulating because everything came to a complete standstill globally. Enter into the fray, the unfortunate invasion of Ukraine, which had catastrophic, devastating impact not only in those countries, but globally as well. Chairman Powell has been very clear. He has not moved from what he intended to do, what they did do, and continuing to do, which is battle inflation, which absolutely is so damaging, in addition to all of the things that Corey mentioned and Leah mentioned that can impact the average Joe. Inflation is probably one of the things that is worse for the average citizen anywhere in the country, especially those on a fixed income. So that is absolutely why I feel that gangsta Jerome Powell, as I call him, who says, yes, you may lose some jobs, right? Your investments may suffer. However, at the end of the day, we are going to get back to whatever form of normal that we can. And I think it's largely a reflection of the current administration that they have just allowed him to do just that, which is actually pretty smart because he takes up most of the slack in answering a lot of these questions as to why the U.S. has been so aggressive with raising these rates as evidenced by the decision yesterday And actually, Chairman Powell actually has said for the first time, putting in the universe, that they are not on track anymore for the U.S. to even experience a mild recession. So we may just see that soft landing, which a lot of us did not, including myself, even think we had a chance of doing at the beginning of the pandemic. Z, us Brits are pretty, pretty despondent. And compared to you Americans, we're a miserable bunch anyway. You guys have sunshine shining at your wazoos as far far as we're concerned. And wazoos not a word that we'd actually bus Brits even, even use. Backsides, there you go. You, you guys seem to have a sunny disposition, which generally us bus Brits don't have. However, when it comes to economic things, the American economy on paper is performing extremely well. Why isn't that being translated into the way that the average American actually feels? So I am historically hard on Biden for a reason. And I think that I don't think I know because I was looking up stats when you guys were all talking about the UK stats of the the price increases, but it's actually way worse than what I thought. So under Biden, we've had a price, a housing increase of 32% since 2020. 
And actually, it's gone up 19% since 2022, which is insane. Our grocery prices have gone up by 11.4% for groceries and 7.7% if you're eating out since 2022. So all of this has happened under Biden. And our minimum wage has not increased since Obama did it in July of 2009, which is still 27.25 an hour federally. I'm no economist by any means. But when I look at these numbers and then I use myself as a comparison, and I was actually just talking to my husband about this the other day. In 2016, our combined income was $4,000 and we always had money left over at the end of the month. Now we make a combined income of $10,000 and we are struggling paycheck to paycheck. And that's not because we're spending more money. It's because of the price increases, particularly the housing increases. To go from the average house price less than 10 years ago was $120,000 to now it's $436,000 is insane. Last question. And Corey, because we haven't heard much from you on this episode, you're going to have the honor of answering the last question. What's going to be written on the epitaph of this government? There is no way and on heaven's earth that Rishi Sunak is going to be returned to power at the end of 2024. The man's toast and the Conservative Party needs at least three terms in the political wilderness. And that's putting it uh, at its most charitable. What's going to be written on its epitaph? Is it that they presided over the destruction of the NHS, rising levels of food bank usage, old people going cold at the winter, and a cost of living crisis? So I'm not completely sold on the demise of this current iteration of the Conservative Party in, at the end of 2024. But that aside, whether they do go or they don't, I think the assessment of the last seven years is essentially two words, incompetence and scandals. That's that true. That my epitaph. Of That's true. I, I have... I hope you're not the Chancellor. He was looking at uh, economic matters here. My trim will be... At least my trim won't embarrass every black man in the kingdom. But yes, incompetence and scandal. They just... Uh, I, I really had... For me, I, I, I had hope Rishi Sunak would be some sort of return to... Okay. Grow, the grow, quick, the let, let, let's, let, let's forget the hope, right? Because we're living with the reality. What's going to be the yes. answer? Manage decline. Sorry to use the cliche of what people often attribute to the Conservative Party, but that really has been, it's, it's been managed decline. Sorry, unmanaged decline. It's been unmanaged decline. From the minute Cameron lost his spine and said, oh, I lost a referendum, peace out, folks, somebody else can deal with it. From that moment on, there hasn't been anything you can look and say, ooh, there, there's a high point, there's a positive. It's just been a total shambles, an absolute shambles. I suppose a positive would be that we got Brexit done. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye to you all. The Cohen Frank Sanchez, tell us about Soul Strategies and what you've been up to. Yes, Soul, we have been uh, working on a lot of campaigns this year. We're really gearing up for 2024. Hopefully we have a huge year. I think that we will. And we're also working with a bunch of nonprofits and PACs. So we're, we just released our field app with GPS. So we're really hoping that changes the data that we're getting to get better data so that when we're actually going out and knocking these doors that we're getting real data that's going back to the Democratic Party. So let's pray that that works. Leah, my sometimes cousin over there in Broadstairs, tell us about Broadstairs Consulting. What are you guys working on at the moment? Broadstairs Consulting are having a week off. As founder, I decided that everybody was exhausted and so we are taking a summer break. So we are enjoying some time to downtime and getting some refreshment so that we can hit the ground running. like a true benevolent dictator. You've decided that everyone is exhausted is what you just said. We're a startup. Props. All right, cool. Miki Gabriel, how goes it down there in Houston? It's hot. Professionally? About it. Big yourself up, woman. Sell, sell your wares. Oh, my wares? My wares? Just to sum this entire conversation up about struggles. People are still not getting their estate planning, just like the former Queen of Soul, who they found a fourth will. So after five years, they can finally begin to dismantle our estate. So I'm happy that people are doing well. But I'm also hearing from recruiters for firms that exist in the universe that actually have a minimum investment of $50 million per family. So somebody's doing really well in this current economy. Gotcha. Corey Bernard, sir. 
where can people catch up with you on the socials and thoroughly disagree with you about your neoliberal economic outlook on life, sir? Ah, they can't. Because I left Twitter about a year ago because it was just incredibly toxic and depressing. So they can't tweet me and tell me that I'm a raging conservative sellout. I did my own thread. I downloaded the app, but I've not actually done anything with it yet. You know what? I'm not saying it's always going to remain a sea of relative calm, but so far, it ain't Twitter. Just saying. Really? It ain't. It ain't. All right. Much less people on there, but actually higher levels of engagement considering the amount of usage on there and so far it's the anti-twitter in terms of toxicity and vitriol sir you want to get yourself over there i lost my instagram account so that's the other reason i'm not on threads you're you're, you're a problem child okay all right all right all right there you go folks that's been your panel we've had z or to close people we'll just call her z over there in new york we had leah in Broadstairs, who's just taking it easy this week. Miki talked about some economic and financial stuff, which I didn't quite understand there, but all I heard was 50 million and families making 50 million. So that's so somebody's doing well somewhere. And Corey is a mess when it comes to social media. That's been your pal. I've been Royfield Brown. Don't forget, don't listen to Corey. Left to center politics is right thinking politics. We try not to demonize our right leaning brothers and sisters. We just try and win them over with the strength of common sense and also looking at history and the last 40 years of neoliberalism, which has widened wealth inequality everywhere neoliberalism has been allowed to run riot. We believe in an economy that creates wealth, but we also believe in an economy which can share some of the benefits of that and also to give people at the bottom of society a meaningful opportunity to work their way up through the sweat of their brow and through opportunity. That's us. That's the Mid-Atlantic. We see you all again in seven days' time for another rip-roaring barnstorming episode where we'll put the world to rights and Corey will still be struggling with social media. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Maybe we can just edit out that bit where I say we'll create a scandal in the Bank of England. It's not my brand.